It's nearly 12 o'clock and time for the KMXT Midday Report. Thank you for listening to KMXT. On 100.1 FM, it is your public radio station. Broadcasting from beautiful downtown Kodiak, Alaska, where currently we have fair skies and 52 degrees. Northwest winds to 9, gusting to 21 at the airport right now. 66% humidity and 10 miles of visibility. The Weather Service is calling for partly sunny skies for the rest of the day, although a 10% chance of rain this afternoon. A 20% chance of rain until 10 p.m. tonight. Mostly cloudy skies overnight with a low of 43. Northwest winds to 45. 25, rather. And mostly sunny tomorrow with a high near 54. West winds to 20, gusting to 30. Coming up on the Midday Report, Alaska Republican Party leadership will decide today whether to oust Kodiak's sitting district chairman. On the ballot this November, Alaskans will decide whether to revamp the state's constitution. Some say it's a good idea. Others disagree. And supporters of Ketchikan's public library rallied on Saturday. Live from NPR News in Washington, I'm Lakshmi Singh. The Department of Justice is charging 47 people with exploiting a federal program established to help feed children in need during the COVID-19 pandemic. The U.S. Attorney in Minnesota says the fraud scheme affecting low-income children in the state reached staggering proportions, $250 million. Authorities say the defendants are connected to the nonprofit group called Feeding Our Future, They allege the group used the stimulus aid intended for low-income children to benefit themselves, including with luxury cars and property in the U.S. and abroad. The charges against the 47 defendants include wire fraud, money laundering, illegal kickbacks, and conspiracy. The head of the FBI says today's indictments amount to the largest pandemic relief fraud scheme yet. Popular tourism destinations in the Caribbean are weathering the ferocity of a Category 3 hurricane today, the first major hurricane of 2022. The Turks and Caicos Islands are getting slammed. The Bahamas are in Fiona's immediate path. The hurricane is expected to strengthen to a Category 4 as it approaches Bermuda. Recovery is underway in the Dominican Republic as well as Puerto Rico. Parts of the U.S. territory received more than two feet of rain. Floods and landslides followed. More than a million people have not had power or running water since the weekend. The power grid, barely back from the impact of Hurricane Maria five years ago, is damaged. Luis Marie Vasquez Martinez lives in Toa Baja. We still haven't been completely reconstructed after Maria. And even though it was a a hurricane category one, which is way less than Maria, we got in some ways, even more damage. The governor of Puerto Rico estimates power will be restored in a matter of days. Florida's Republican governor, Ron DeSantis, may be flying migrants from Texas to President Biden's home state of Delaware. It's the latest in a series of these migrant flights. Republican political gamesmanship meant to force migration into the news ahead of the midterm election. 
NPR's Eric McDaniel has more from the White House. DeSantis wouldn't confirm that his administration is flying migrants to Delaware, but officials in the state say they're preparing nonetheless. Asked after a speech in the Roosevelt Room about the Florida governor's apparent plan, Biden's only response was to crack wise. He should come visit. We have a beautiful shoreline. Earlier in the day, during the White House press briefing, the administration insisted that DeSantis and other Republican governors should support the president's languishing immigration reform proposal. Eric McDaniel, NPR News, The White House. The Dow Jones Industrial Average is down 313 points at 30,706. The Nasdaq is down more than 100 points. S&P is down 43. This is NPR News. NPR News is brought to you in part by Providence Kodiak Island Counseling Center. For an appointment or more information, 481-2400. For KMXT, I'm Terry Haynes. Leadership within Alaska's Republican Party will decide whether to oust Kodiak's sitting district chairman at a hearing today over his public support of Senator Lisa Murkowski. KMXT's Kirsten Dobroth reports. In July 2021, Alaska's Republican Party formally endorsed Kelly Shabaka, Senator Lisa Murkowski's Trump-backed Republican challenger this November. The party censured Murkowski that same year. In February, Republicans from District 5, which encompasses all of Kodiak Island, passed a resolution supporting Murkowski. We were concerned with uh, the early endorsement, or unusually early endorsement, of another candidate uh, in the Senate race. Duncan Fields is the District 5 Republican Party's chairman. Fields says Murkowski has been a longtime advocate of local issues, like Alaska fisheries and the island's Coast Guard base. He voiced his support for Murkowski in a brief campaign video posted to the senator's Twitter account earlier this year. I'm Duncan Fields. I'm a commercial fisherman from Kodiak, Alaska. I support Lisa Murkowski because of what she's done for Alaska over the arc of her career. And some from the state GOP took notice. Two other district chairs, David Peck and Wayne Ogle from District 7 and 8 on the Kenai Peninsula, filed complaints with the state's party leadership. Each outline fields is, quote, promotion of the candidacy of U.S. Senator Murkowski, end quote, and call for fields to resign or be removed as district chairman. Whether or not fields will receive any type of formal discipline or stay in his position as chairman will be decided at a meeting Tuesday evening. District Chairman Peck and party leadership could not be reached by phone Monday afternoon. When reached for comment, Ogle said he's fine with fields supporting Murkowski, just not as district chair. Field says the state party's rules don't prohibit local districts from endorsing a different Republican candidate, and he's careful to distinguish the district chairman who filed the complaint with the state's party leadership. But he says whatever happens Tuesday could set an important precedent going forward. Whether or not it's their intent uh, to sort of uh, purge every uh, person in every district that has an opinion different from the party, or if there's going to be a sense that um, the Alaska Republican Party uh, can have divergent voices and divergent opinions, uh, even at the district level. Senator Lisa Murkowski received more than 50 percent of the vote in the state primary in Kodiak. Field says Kodiak voters tend to lean towards more moderate candidates historically. And this isn't the first time local elected officials have been punished by the state GOP for working across the aisle. I think as party chairman here in Kodiak, I feel this uh, latest uh, incident um, in that context is a further effort 
to silence uh, the interests of Kodiak. The Alaska Republican Party's hearing is scheduled for 5.30 p.m. on Tuesday. In Kodiak, I'm Kirsten Dobrath. This November, Alaskans will decide whether to revamp the state's constitution. The once-in-a-decade constitutional convention question is usually voted down by a wide margin. But this year, questions about the permanent fund dividend, Alaska's fiscal woes, and abortion access have some saying now is the time to vote yes, while others say the document continues to serve the state well. For Alaska Public Media, reporter Aaron McKinstry reports. The hour appointed by the Alaska Territorial Legislature. For three months during the winter of 1955 and 1956, 55 delegates from around Alaska created the state's founding document. I do accordingly, as governor of this territory, call a convention to order. 31-year-old Vic Fisher was among them. Victor Fisher! Now he's 98 and the last surviving delegate. We all had the same goal, do everything possible to become a state. Being late to the statehood game, the Alaska delegates had the benefit of pulling the best parts from other states' constitutions and learning from past mistakes. It is short and specific laying out the foundation for the state without going into a lot of detail uh, that would have required changes. The 12,000-word document has been updated 28 times since its passage, with voter-approved amendments to allow for the permanent fund dividend, prohibit sex discrimination, and create a right-to-privacy clause, for example. But changing the Constitution on a broader and more fundamental level requires a constitutional convention. Alaska is one of 14 states that regularly asks voters directly. Fisher says they wanted to give people in the future a way to revise the Constitution. So we wouldn't have a a document that just sat on the shelf somewhere and stayed unchanged. Fisher can imagine a time when a constitutional convention could be necessary. But right now, he worries about the cost, the current political climate, and the possibility of outside interests and money influencing changes. They could throw big monies dark monies at a constitutional convention and create a situation that would be just desperately miserable for Alaska. But Republican Senator Robert Myers disagrees. He sees a constitutional convention as an opportunity for long-term planning to address fiscal questions around spending caps, the permanent fund dividend, and taxation. Really what we've seen over the last few years is some very significant changes in in our economy and and how uh, things operate in Alaska, and our Constitution needs to reflect some of those changes. Myers isn't alone. A group of conservative activists and politicians have joined forces to create a formal campaign called Yes Convention to advocate for the vote and not just to address fiscal issues. The recent Supreme Court decision to overturn Roe v. Wade has some looking at how Alaska's right to privacy clause protects abortion access. Advocates like Alaska Independence Party Chairman Bob Byrd want to look at changing Alaska's judicial system, altering the education system, and more. The PFD is the spark, but when you get the spark like that, and there's no limit to what a constitutional convention might produce, 
then we can look at the incredibly long list of things that need correction. Bird says it's important for voters to understand that they're the ones in charge of the process. The people get to control whether or not there will be a constitutional convention. And then we'll get to vote as to who our delegates will be. And then we're going to get to vote as to whether we like what is produced by the convention. A yes vote raises a lot of questions, like how much it would cost, when it would be held, and how delegates would be chosen. One white paper put an estimated cost above $16 million. And Alaskans could spend all that money and time and then reject the changes at the polls. Former Republican Senator Kathy Kiesel says it's too risky. This is not the right time, with emotions running high on so many different issues, to, to try to sit down and craft a solid document that would continue to provide stability and a positive future for our state. Giesel and Fisher are co-chairs of Defend Our Constitution, a broad-based coalition against holding a constitutional convention. They agree that the current Constitution provides a strong foundation for Alaska. A new constitutional convention can take the existing convention and dump it, just start from scratch and do something completely different. And I'm not sure if that makes any sense. Voters will decide whether to hold the first convention since statehood on November 8th. For Alaska Public Media, I'm Erin McKinstry. Ketchikan Public Library supporters gathered on Saturday for what organizers called a read-in. They were opposing a ballot measure that would strip borough funding from the library. As KRBD's Eric Stone reports, people waved signs, handed out books, and urged voters to support the library this October. I support it because it's a good, because I want people to learn what they can read and question and think. Eight-year-old Aurora Hops stands on the side of North Tongas Highway with a handwritten sign saying, I love the library. It is for everyone. Her sister, seven-year-old Anaya Hops, has a sign that says, We love our library. We get to read, and sometimes we like to get CDs and headphone sets, and while we're cleaning up our house, we get to listen to them. And the books are really nice. Their mom, Nina Hops, says the library is a central part of her family's life. She homeschools the kids, and she says Aurora and Anaya check out over 100 books a month. And the library has really been foundational to our family because they had the baby story time, they have all the activities and ways to meet other families and kids to be friends for life, basically. So the Ketchikan Library is part of our family. The family is out here at Wolf Point spending this sunny Saturday waving signs because they're concerned about Proposition 2. It's a ballot measure that would remove the borough's authority to collect a property tax on homes and businesses outside city limits. That tax provides nearly 40% of the Ketchikan Public Library's annual funding, or what equals about half a million dollars. The ballot measure was proposed this summer after the library hosted a story time with a drag queen. If the measure passes, Ketchikan's library director says she would have to make drastic cuts to services. She'd have to lay off about half of the library's employees and cut its hours by 25%. The roughly 2,000 library card holders who live outside city limits would not be able to check out materials. And almost all programming for children, teens, adults, and elders would have to be cut. Nina Hops says it would be a devastating loss. 
So to lose the resource of the library would mean that we would lose hundreds of books that we would read each year, that my kids memorize and remember and become part of them. So losing that amount of books, resources, and activities would be a huge impact. A little further down the street is Catlin Jacobson. She's the librarian for Ketchikan High School. She says a funding cut for the public library would have a ripple effect on the school system's libraries. Our schools are looking at drastic cuts if this were to go through. They check out, we borrow from the public library over 1,400 items a year. That equates almost $30,000 worth of books that we borrow from the public library, just our students district-wide. So that's a huge, uh, huge benefit to our students that would be gone. And she says that would have a ripple effect on literacy for children all over Ketchikan. All studies show that the more books a child has, whether it's at home or in the classroom, is going to make them a better reader and make them enjoy reading more. Especially, most importantly, freedom of choice. That's what makes kids excited about reading. If they find that Garfield comic book that they want to read, they're going to want to pick it up and keep reading. So that's really the essential role that libraries play in helping kids read. Part of what's driving the ballot proposition is the idea that residents outside city limits don't have enough say in what goes on at the library. Only the Ketchikan City Council, rather than the borough assembly, has the authority to set the library's budget and review programming decisions. Nina Hopps, the homeschooling mom, says there are plenty of ways, though, that residents can have their voices heard. I'm on the advisory board, and we've had meetings where nobody shows up. So if you want an in and you want someone to listen, we are there to listen. And we're there for open opinions and suggestions. And since nobody's showing up, it's showing me that they maybe only care about money. Proposition 2 goes to Ketchikan Gateway Borough voters outside city limits on October 4th. Reporting in Ketchikan, I'm Eric Stone. Researchers monitoring the landslide at Berry Arm in Prince William Sound say movement there is significant in its speed and scope. But they say they're no closer to knowing when a catastrophic slide might occur that could trigger a potentially life-threatening tsunami near Whittier. Even without that information, Seldovia geologist Brett Wood Higman says the update should be taken seriously. We don't know exactly what it means, but it is the opposite of reassuring. Berry Arm has been under the proverbial microscope since 2020, when scientists first took note of movement at the unstable fjord northeast of Whittier. The slope could fall into the water below, creating a wave that could pose a serious risk to boaters and recreators in the vicinity and, in a worst-case scenario, a wave up to seven feet high in Whittier. According to a status update Friday from the State Department of Geological and Geophysical Surveys, The slope is moving much faster than it has since 2020, at a rate of 1.6 to 2.7 inches per day when monitoring began. Higman says that kind of acceleration is something that can happen to slopes before they fail. And this, in the last, uh, um, I guess, month and a half here, there have been uh, these accelerations of particularly one portion of that mass. So that could be a sign of impending failure. The portion of the landslide that is moving is right above the water at Berry Arm. In response to the acceleration, the state says scientists have stopped accessing the site by water. Unfortunately, the new data doesn't tell researchers when a failure might occur. That makes it it really a difficult message because we don't want to be in the position where we see something scary, but we don't say anything because 
we don't know how scary it is, but we also don't want to say like, well, we saw something and we're all terrified and nobody should go there because we don't really know if it's that bad. Still, he says it's important for the public to know about the change. For individuals who are making choices about whether to spend time and what and what sorts of activities to do in that area, I would say this this should be received as a note of caution. While scientists are watching the slide at Barry Arm closely, it's not the only unstable slope in the area. In much of coastal Alaska, glacial retreat has left slopes exposed, unstable, and more prone to failure. Read Diverse, Read Indie on Insight Daily Radio. Conversations with today's most influential authors from the world of independent publishing. The Makings of Me, My Journey to Seven Figures from My Living Room, is an inspirational and entrepreneurial new book from author Tiffany Harris that follows the emotional roller coaster of her life and self-made success with her thriving business, Custom Creations. Fresh and raw, yet honest and open, she lays bare what it has taken her to make it on her life's journey as she literally climbed to success from her living room. We spoke with her about this inspiring new book. I got into a different line of printing called sublimation, and I started doing sublimation. It was new in my area, so I was one of the few people that knew how to do it. And from there, I realized there's too many steps in this process. I don't like it. So I decided to do my research, go hard, and figure out how to fix this problem that I found. So when there are seven steps and I knock them down to two, People are going to want my product, and that's how we got here. And I made my own product line of sublimation items that allow you to only need one step after printing, which is pressing. So now that turns your work time into a small percentage. So I actually started selling it to people and made seven figures in 18 months. That's author Tiffany Harris on her fascinating new book, The Makings of Me, My Journey to Seven Figures from My Living Room, which is available wherever books are sold. Read Diverse, Read Indie is presented by the Independent Book Publishers Association. This is the Island Messenger, a look at personal messages the weather, and community announcements. Good afternoon and welcome to your Island Messenger for Tuesday. It is the 20th day of September, the year 2022. The sun rose today at 7.50. It will set again at 8.13. That will give us 12 hours and 23 minutes of daylight, a loss of 4 minutes and 56 seconds compared to yesterday. Our record low for this date was 33 degrees. That was set in 1948 and 2021, just last year. Our record high was 71, set in 1965. Currently 56 degrees under fair skies, 60% humidity, west winds to 13, 10 miles of visibility. And we're looking for partly sunny skies for the rest of the day, possibly going to a slight chance of rain after 5 p.m., at least from 5 p.m. to 11 p.m., High of 54 today with north, north, northwest winds to 10. We were already up to 56. 
Mostly cloudy overnight with a low of 43, northwest winds to 25, and for tomorrow, mostly sunny, high near 54, west winds to 20, gusting to 30. Looking at our local tides, we are just about to have a high tide here on the east side. That will happen in just a few minutes at 1228, and it will be a 9.4-foot tide, followed by a low tide at 512 this evening of 4.3 feet. Over on the west side, your high tide will happen at 1241 this afternoon and be 9.5 feet in Larson Bay, followed by a low tide at 608 this evening of 6 feet. Mariners, here's your forecast for Marmot Island to Sitkanak, Kodiak's east side offshore. Small craft advisory tonight and Wednesday. North winds to 20 knots and seas to 6 feet today. For tonight, west 25, seas coming up to 7 feet. And for tomorrow, west 30, seas to 10 feet. For Wednesday night, southwest 30, seas coming up to 11 feet. And for Thursday, west 25, seas up to 15 feet on Thursday on our east side. Over in the Shillikoff Strait, small craft advisory for tonight and Wednesday. North wind to 20 knots today, seas to 3 feet. Northwest 30 tonight, seas to 5 feet. And west 30 tomorrow, seas coming up to 7 feet. Tomorrow night, southwest 30, seas to 9 feet in the Shillikoff. There will be a Board of Education special meeting happening right in just six minutes at 12.30 p.m. today in the District Services or Conference Room in F-140 of the Old High School Wing. This meeting will also be streamed through Blue Jeans. That login information is on the Kodiak Island Borough School District website under the Board of Education tab. And this emergency special meeting is all about certificated contracts. If you need more information, contact the Secretary of the Board of Education at 907-486-7566. The Kodiak City Council will have a work session tonight. That's happening at 7.30 p.m. They will also be having a regular meeting on Thursday, also at 7.30 p.m. Both meetings will be held in the Kodiak Public Library. They are open to the public, and the meetings will be broadcast on 100.1 FM right here on KMXT. The meetings will also be web-streamed, and that link and meeting packets are available at the City of Kodiak website. If you need more information, call the clerk's office at 907 486 8636. There will be a Board of Education retreat on September 24th that begins at 9 a.m. in room 106 of the Benny Benson Building at Kodiak College. The agenda can be viewed on board docs at the Kodiak Island School District's website. For more information, contact the Secretary of the Board of Education at 907-486-7566. There will be a celebration of life for Bill Harrington on Saturday, October 1st. That's happening from 4 to 7 p.m. at Tony's. Everyone in the community is welcome to come. Please bring a potluck dish to share, an instrument to play if you feel like jamming, and your memories and good cheer. They're all looking forward to seeing you there. Again, that's October 1st, Saturday, 4 to 7 p.m. at Tony's. Fairwinds Players needs actors for a Halloween-themed show they're putting on in early November called Boo. Open auditions will be held this Saturday and Sunday from noon to 2 p.m. in the Drama Pod at the Gerald C. Wilson Auditorium. All ages and all levels of experience are welcome. 
The show is mostly a series of 12 short skits that are fun, funny, and won't require a lot of rehearsal and memorization. A great way to dip your toes into acting if you've ever had the desire. Contact Mike at 907-654-4171 or email gm at kmxt.org for questions, a script, or to arrange a separate audition if you have a conflict. But again, that's this weekend in the Drama Pod, noon to 2 p.m. And open or early voting is open. That's happening at the Assembly Chambers, which is up here on 710 Mill Bay Road, right between the high school and the library. That's happening every weekday from 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. It's similar to when you go to vote at your polling precinct on Election Day. Your eligibility is verified. You're given a ballot to feed into the voting machine, and then your ballot is counted and included in the unofficial tally on Election Night. So they encourage everyone to take advantage of the option to vote early. If you're driving by the high school, just pop right in. If you have any questions, call the city clerk at 907-486-8636. Listen for the Island Messenger here on Public Radio KMXT three times a day. Monday through Friday at 9 a.m., during the midday report at 12.20, and in the evening at 7 o'clock. If you have a community announcement or personal message, including lost and found items or pets, you can call KMXT at 486-3181, fax us at 486-2733, or email psa at kmxt.org.